Hello and welcome to the Be Real Show with Travis, Too Tall and Huff. Folks, I'm fired up. We're going to make you some money today. And I'm pumped up because I'm excited to bring you our featured guest, Matt Monero. Matt, are you ready to be real? Of course. Is there any other way? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So my man, Matt, is all about helping you make that money. But he is first the president of Commercial Fleet Financing, which does over $150 million uh, in yearly uh, financing for uh building your fleet and very interesting business. I was checking it out right now. He's also a proud father and a husband, which I love. I love that you put that in your profile. Uh, also folks, what we're really going to get into is he's the author of the grit and his newest book. You need more money folks. So Matt, we've a uh, pleasure to have you on the show today. We've given our listeners just a little insight, but what's going on today? Dude, everything's good, man. I mean, every day is a day of purpose, right? I mean, hell, we don't just wake up and ride the current, do we? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, today, unfortunately, I'm going to have to go to a funeral. Oh, uh, man, I'm sorry to hear that. Friend. So it's just part of life, man. You got to, you got to, you got to, you know, frame it how you can. And then, and obviously, uh, you know, grieve and, and then move forward. Because well, dude, stay on that for a minute, because I'm going yes. through it with my best friend in the world. I just was in uh, San Diego on uh, Sunday, Monday and Tuesday with him on his deathbed. So how, how mm. close, uh, how close were you to this, uh, to this? Well, he helped, he was one of my original customers. Mm. And then, uh, I also ended up starting working for his family. Mm -hmm. And then, um, so we have both, you know, working with, for his business and for his family's business. And then, you know, he's just one of those customers that was younger and, and was, uh, you know, we kind of connected and bonded and he was pushing the envelope on certain things and, kind of a serial entrepreneur and um yeah just unfortunate you know how'd he die what what happened car accident he had a car accident yeah he was coming home from a golf tournament and uh oh man someone ran a stop sign and everyone everyone passed away so it's very unfortunate you know just wow. obviously like you said you know life is just so blessed uh and and you know at the end of the day you can't you can't stay in misery because it's going to happen like you know we're all going to pass as well as family friends and and clients and customers and but most importantly is that we uh, we move forward and then we also get people to making that money, my man. So I have a question to you, my man. Go for it. I'm really interested into this. Um, so in 1995, you founded your business, Commercial Fleeting Financing. And what gave you that idea? Because I think it's such a unique line of business. Yeah, I mean, I was in a version of this business working for another company. Mm -hmm. uh, we weren't just on the finance side, though. We were more on the fleet management side, where we would literally factory order cargo vans for a landscaping company or a plumbing company, and then we would upfit them with shelves, and we would logo it out, and we would deliver it to their facility, full serve, ready to go, and then we would do the financing on it. Gotcha. That's how I learned the business. That's how I was, I was transferred to Dallas, Texas with that company, and then within literally a month or so, everything that we had talked about changed the budget the growth plans and i was basically left for dead in wow. a dumpy uh, one-bedroom apartment here in dallas i didn't have a friend of a friend travis i literally knew nobody i had no contacts no one i had zero introductions it was supposed to be a one-year gig and 23 year later 23 years later uh we're doing a different version of that same business but now we do just provide the financing. We don't do any factory ordering or delivering of the equipment. Um, we just act as the bank. Got you. And you and I saw in your profile uh, and also an article uh, saying you knew you could out hustle the big banks because you're, that's basically who your competition is. Yeah, and I'm, and man, it's a key thing for your audience, my friend, is that uh, 
you know, how do you know whether you're in the right business or I call it the platform and right. you're in that business when the big banks are in that business. I mean, you gotta, right. you gotta figure out who, who are you competing against? And I knew very early that if I was going to compete against large publicly traded companies, that there were going to be a lot of scraps on the table that they didn't care about. Mm-hmm. And we've been able to take a billion of those scraps off their table and, um, and about 170 million bucks a year worth. And, uh, they still don't give a damn who we are. And that's just the way I like it. Right. Yeah. You found that perfect niche market. And then also something you, your, your expertise in, you know, because, uh, I thought also it was really good pitch in that you're also helping these businesses expand. That's a, that's a really big part of it. For sure. I mean, if they, if they run, learn how to run a better business, they're going to buy more equipment. And right. um, it just goes hand in hand because the revenue gen for our customers comes from the running of equipment, whether it's a tow truck towing cars or a big rig hauling lettuce from New York to L.A. or a landscaper with lawnmowers in the back. I mean, um, you know, that's they they make more money by buying more equipment. And the biggest problem they all have is that they are a great towing tow truck driver who gets sick and tired of their boss and they go into the towing business for themselves and they don't know how to run a tow business. And oddly enough, we want to help them run a better business. And then the return for that benefit is that they finance equipment with us. Right. So you give first. And then if at some point they're obviously going to need to work with you guys because you're providing uh, the, the big, the big bank. Yeah. I mean, we, dude, we hope so. But let me tell you, that's not how I understood business to begin with. I was a taker for most of my career. I never mm-hmm. understood the ability to give and that if we can help them run a better business, that it helps our business. I never understood that. I was always in it for just take the deal down. I was it. I was like that with employees as well, man, right? How do I wring ROI out of every employee right. that we have? And I, I changed a few years ago and I made the decision to be a world-class leader. And, um, and part of that journey was understanding that mindset shift, which is you do have to give. And you have to give a shit and care. And uh, if you are genuine about that, then the revenue will follow. And that's exactly what's happened. Mm, that is awesome. As, and it's been a grind, too, because you guys have been in business since 1995. So you've seen the, the, the financial crisis, you know, when Three it, I'm sure things Three were tough them. at those times, I'm sure. Dude, it was horrible. I started the company in 95 with absolutely no money. Wow. Uh, six months later, car got repossessed. I mean, the whole nine yards, I was down to my last 40 bucks on a credit card. So, wow. and then in 0102 was a very nasty time. And in 0809 was a very nasty time. I've been through three very tough economic cycles. There's going to be a fourth coming here pretty yeah. soon. Um, and, um, you know, people need to be aware of that, dude. We've, we've been in roughly 10 years of economic bliss. And that means if somebody was graduating college at 21, they're now 31 years old. They're deep in their career. They're on their journey. They're fixing their mindset. They're working on their mindset. But they've never seen an economic downturn. They think this is what, a, what the economy is. And I'm here to say this is a blissful economy. If you're struggling right now, you're going to get your ass handed to you in this next downturn. Right. Yeah, because businesses are just flourishing. Dude, I mean, homes capital are, is cheap, and there's just there's there's unbelievable growth. Think about it. Homes are selling at above asking price in a couple of days. Yes. There's a construction site yes. on almost every corner. Housing is outrageous. We're going to sell over 20 million cars this year. Wow. Um, you know, I mean, you're right. Uh, cost of money is still cheap, even though rates are creeping up. But money is still dirt cheap. A 30-year mortgage is five and a half. Right. Or four and a half, rather. Um, you know, th- those are normal numbers, right? Um, 
but this economic bliss can't continue and people need to prepare for it. That's why I wrote the damn book. Yeah. So getting into the book, which I love, I love the title because it's so true. You need more money. Mm -hmm. People say money can't buy happiness. It's total bullshit. I think that's not true. I mean, there's a certain level where it's like, yeah, maybe if you're, you know, Zuckerberg and what, you know, what's another billion for, you know, Bezos, but obviously, as you know, he's got big dreams too. He's got, you know, his, his rocket company and, you know, or Elon, you know, they just find new things to do with it. You know, it's not, dude, those guys are one in, those guys are literally one in hundred million people. Right. So for us to even entertain the idea Right. That we should have a view of the world that those guys do when it comes to money. It's it's totally incorrect. Um, Most people are struggling. They're grinding just the way I did. They're starting from nothing. Their parents aren't giving them a silver spoon. And um, therefore, we have to figure out our own journey. And part of that journey is to develop some net worth. And it's not net worth in my world. It's not to buy Lambos and jets and mansions. It's literally to protect my wife, my three boys, my extended family, my wife's extended family, I and mean, all of those are my employees, my vendors, my clients. Everyone is touched by the success that we have in this office. And the problem is most people don't don't dig in deep enough and realize that they do have the ability to impact hundreds and hundreds of people's lives if they get their life dialed in. Mm. Because there's a lot of life coaches out there right now, right? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot, lot of people, phonies, man. There's Come a lot on. of people just, you know, send you some sort of uh, landing page to try to get you to sign up and then trying to bill your credit card or something for something. I'm like, what What are you providing here, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think the one thing I have going for me is that is that, you know, I, I have um, – I mean, my story is very similar to so many people, right? Nobody was helping me. There was no mentor or no roadmap. I mean, I had to figure out this stuff on my own, and – and I think that through the book, I'm willing to tell a lot of those stories um, in a transparent way to help people realize that, shit, if I can do it, anybody can do it. Hell, I went to cooking school, for God's sakes. Nobody taught me about business. Wow. So you went into cooking school, and then you were working in this other business, and then it came to you, you're like, I got to do something different. And then, oh, at some point, you were just like, I'm going to do this business. I'm going to do the business that I was working at with this fleet business. Yeah, I mean, I, I went to cooking school because that's the only college I got into. I mean, literally, gotcha. I got turned down every other place. My old man never took me to a college. We never did a campus visit or any of that stuff. Right. So I applied to this one school. They get me in. I said, I guess I'll go there. And I quickly learned, though, that I didn't want to be a chef. Um, that wasn't that wasn't the career path for me. It didn't have enough freedom what I mean by that is, I mean, I didn't want to work on Friday and Saturday nights yes. and when my buddies were yes. out having a good time. I mean, I wanted to be part of that. So right. that got me out of that space. But, um, but I didn't, uh, you know, I, I, I wasted a decade of my success just thinking that it had to be viciously hard and that you couldn't trust anybody and you shouldn't have a mentor. You know, I just thought that was the road. And, and now that I'm on the other side of it, um, I was so wrong, man. You need help from other people. And there are great mentors out there. If you can tap into them and find them, they can cut a lot of your failures away. Right. Yeah, they can get you the fast track, I'd yeah. like to say. It's like they help you understand where, you know, things to avoid. <laughs> Dude, let me tell you something. The fast track exists by getting an amazing mentor a lot faster than it does by learning how to do click funnels. Right. Right. Yes, that great point too, because everyone in this world wants to do click funnels, you know, or something, you know. Get, you, I'm a million dollar entrepreneur on on Shopify, you know. It's like, come on, yeah. man. You know, yeah. I'll tell you that this guy was bankrupt next year, the next year. 
Yeah. Uh, I, I got a buddy who made $4 million bucks a couple years ago selling um, handles, clip-on handles to for Yeti cups, you know, the Yeti uh, tumblers. Okay, okay. And, um, you know, and now he's, brust, he's busted broke again because um, – you know, China figured out that he was making a lot right. of money, and China went into the uh, clip-on handle for Yetis. And guess right. what? Bye-bye uh, business. So <laughs> I'm into fundamentals, dude. I'm a blocking and tackling guy. I chop wood every day. I'm not interested in flash and all that stuff. Business to me is not about that. It's about building something for the long haul based on sound foundational principles. That's why I'm involved in the Business Finishing School, which is this event that we're putting on in September in Dallas where we get back. We, no one's going to talk about social media marketing. No one's going to talk about click funnels. We're going to talk about company culture, mission statement, core values, and really how do you build a legacy business because so many people don't know how to do it. And that's been actually on my heart too because I'm having a little one on the way. I'm thinking, how can I get to get, build this into a legacy? Cool. You know? Dude, and, that's a great uh, way to think. And, uh, you know, just a, it's just a mindset too. You got to put yourself in that mindset, right? I mean, because a lot of times as an entrepreneur, you, you think you can do it all. And obviously maybe you can do it all. But then as you realize, you know, the more you help, you help and trust others, your business gets better, you know? And uh, so I think that that's a good thing for any business owner is to think, of a legacy, right? Well, how has this become a legacy, not just end? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think there has to be enterprise value that's being built up over the long term, and, um, and that doesn't come from milking the company dry just to fuel your lifestyle because you, right. you're a so-called entrepreneur or an owner. Right. The business is a separate entity. It must be treated as such. Mm. Great point. So Using uh, using the business should uh, continue to just make sure that you have all your capital possible. Uh, you know, I think for me, the biggest thing is just trying to figure out a way to find something new that I'm doing and, and find someone better to do it. Right? Listen, like, I, we have a new controller in my office, and we were talking about the history of the company. In 1996, the tax return for commercial fleet financing, the top line revenue was $46,000 for the entire year. For the entire year, the entire company, which I had to live on, there was no side hustle for me. I was right. all in, was $46,000. And you made it work on that. Of course. And that's the yeah. problem. Most people don't know what that number is. I mean, at that point in time, I was probably living on $8,000 a year. Right. Um, and then, I, I mean, dude, I can remember getting married. I've been married 20 years. And I can remember um, giving myself a raise to $821 a week. And mm. I was like, oh, my God, can you believe it? You this company it. can throw off $821 a week in a salary to me. My gosh, this is unbelievable. Right. Welcome to entrepreneurship, right? Dude, that, was, that was the point. That was probably the point where you're like, this is the dream. I was, it was an unbelievable moment uh, for me. And I talk about it in the book, too, Travis. I mean, I can remember when, when I had $10,000 saved up in what I call my reserve account. I remember calling my wife in and saying, can you believe it? We got ten grand." Yes. She was like, oh, my gosh, we have 10000 Holy right. mackerel. Right. Dude, you know, those are milestones, though, that everybody has to reach. And most people, yeah. to tell you the truth, they don't even know what those milestones are. And I try to talk about it a lot in the book, man. What are the so milestones? So my question for you then is, uh, what would be the number one reason you would say people need more money? Well, listen, I mean, uh, you know, you're going through this uh, tragedy with your friend. 
Yes. Um, you know, my book is based on the story of my brother-in-law, my wife's only brother. We lost him three years ago. He died at 46. Right. He had right. No health insurance, no life insurance, and 100 bucks in the bank. He left a wife wow. and four kids. Yeah. Um, I just buried uh, my wife's best friend in St. Louis about three weeks ago. We paid for the funeral. Um, the good news is with my best buddy, who's who's very sick, he'll die any day now. He does have money. He did a good job with it. But um, you want more money because you don't know what's coming around the corner. Your friend did not know leaving the golf tournament that that was going to be his last days or minutes uh, right. on earth. And, right. um, and that happens all the time, buddy. Not just in death, but it happens in regulation. It happens in competition. It happens in job changing or company buyouts. So we got to get our money right so that we are prepared for what we don't know is coming when it comes. That's why we need more money. I'm mm. not in it to buy Lambos and stuff like that. I'm in it for the security of my freedom and the, and the security of my family and my employees and my vendors and my clients. And dude, I've, I've, been blessed to have multiple examples in the last three or four years in which my money has made other people's lives much, much better. And dude, those are the best checks you can write. Right. Yeah. That's the, I always try to explain to people that's the most thrilling or joyful experience about money is being able to do something for someone that was unexpected. Yeah. And I don't know what kind of numbers you've been able to write but you know when you stroke a check for a ten thousand dollar funeral yes. when they're not sure how they're going to pay for it and i can't and, imagine and to deliver their their loved one in a in a respectful way and you cover the nut yep. um those are very 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 powerful uh moments and they're incredible um teaching moments for your family and to your children and mm. um and uh you know that's why i do it so you ask the question why we need more money that's why i do it because a lot of people, like you said, would go right to, I need a bigger house, Matt. I need a bigger Lambo. I need a Dude, I'm cool with all car. that, too. I, I'm not <laughs> saying that my version of it is right. I'm, I'm down with that. Listen, I'd have a Lambo, too, if I could fit in it. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Me, too, so, man. I'm 6'8", so I can't even fit in it. I yeah, dude, it okay, so you're screwed. You, you, like me, can't drive a Porsche. It, yes. We don't fit in it. It don't it work. <laughs> so we're stuck with a Suburban. That's the way it yes. plays out, man. A bigger car. The bigger, the better. Uh, no, but then also I have a question for you because they say that about 30, 40% of America has, would have a hard time pulling out an extra thousand bucks. Sure. If they need, if they had an emergency, they say around 30% or so of America would have a hard time finding an extra thousand to pay for it. So what would you say is a great first step for someone to start saving that first thousand? Look, I, I am going to uh, support Dave Ramsey um, in, you know, his total money makeover and stuff like that. For someone who's really, really uneducated or doesn't understand money, the best possible way you could go about it um, is maybe digging into some Dave Ramsey stuff. The problem with Dave Ramsey stuff is that it, it's old. It's outdated. So he talks about right. this $1,000, you know, whatever he calls it, the baby fund or whatever it is. I don't know what right. it's called. Um, but those are good things if you don't know where to start. But the next mm -hmm. evolution of that is, I think, my book and the roadmap of it, where, where I really begin to try to lay out what the end goals are should be to have some financial security. And, um, you know, those numbers start at 50 grand. So I argue in the book that a person is broke unless they have $50,000 liquid cash in the bank. Here's the beautiful Absolutely. part about it. Who tells you that? Who Who is telling you what that, not many people are telling you what that number no. is supposed to be. And in my world, I believe when you, you, you should consider yourself broke until you have $50,000 liquid cash uh, saved up in your reserve account. And 
Um, until that happens, you sh- you don't have to look at yourself being broke as a bad thing. I never did. I always knew I wasn't going to be broke. I'm just broke now, but I ain't going to stay broke. I mean, I'm on yeah. I'm on the journey, man. I'm not. That's part of it when you start from nothing. And right. then from broke, you move into what I call accumulation mode. That's where you actually start to stack and rack cash right. by earning more, keeping your lifestyle the same, and stacking and racking that cash. And I argue in the book that that stack and rack should be 40% of your gross income. 40%. It freaks people out. They, they think it's crazy. I did an interview with Market Watch, and when they published the article, um, I, I got flambayed by um, people in the comments section saying, what an idiot I am. How could people say 40%? And all it did was give me fuel to keep saying it because the number's 40%. Why is that? Because most people don't save a dime in their 20s. They hardly save anything in their 30s. And so guess what? They start to have the oh shit moment in their 40s. And the only way you start to make up the gap is start saving a hell of a lot more. You might be able to save 20% in your 20s because compound interest can kick in and you can, you can do well that way. But most people don't put anything aside in their 20s or their 30s. And in their 40s, they got to make up the gap. And you only make up the gap by earning more and saving a shitload of it. Right. So then those that are out there would be saying, oh, well, uh, what about investing? What about, what about you know, stocks, crypto, sure. peer lending, the venture capital, you know, what about yeah. those options? Sure. I mean, in the book I talk about, it. I don't think anyone should invest a nickel in anything until they have $100,000 liquid cash. Ah. Yeah, nothing, zero. No, not a nickel should be invested in anything until you have $100,000. Now, the only caveat I would say, and this is not in the book, the only caveat I would say to that is if your employer is matching you dollar for dollar in a yes. 401k, you should be taking advantage of that because gotcha. that's free money. Got you. But outside of that, man, you got to be paying down the student loan debt, get them out. You got to pay the credit card off and you got to be stacking and racking cash because cash. when you get 100 G's, deals start to open up for you. It's exactly the way it played out for me. The deals that I'm in outside of my businesses Right. All required an initial investment of a hundred thousand because the players won't let you in for ten grand or twenty grand or thirty grand. It's too much of an aggravation for them. In fact, if you can get into a deal for ten grand, you should probably not be in that deal. Right. It's an unsophisticated deal. The sophisticated deals start at a hundred thousand dollar investment for investors. That's right. just the way it plays out. Yeah. Um, no, because it totally if it's makes a, sense. Yeah, totally if it's a multi million dollar deal, they don't want. They don't want ten grand. They don't want a thousand guys at ten grand each. Dude, those are the guys that are going to call and say, "Man, can you get me my money back? I mean, I'm a little tight this month. You know what I mean? I'm a little short. My wife wants uh, to go to Disney, and I need real investors don't take those phone calls." Right. So that's a really good point, guys. Uh, Folks that are listening, you need fifty G's in your bank, otherwise you're broke. It's not that hard, my friend. It's not that hard. It's not that hard. Because my my first reaction has been always to go to the market. To be transparent with you, I have a, a decent portfolio, uh, you know, retirement accounts, but also a cash account. So I consider that my bank, you know, but it can go up and down, as we know. Yeah. So, the, the, but so the rub on that, though, my friend, is that, you know, it's it, bad, <laughs> it, but it's almost impossible to pick the top or the bottom. So Absolutely. if Absolutely. you want that to be your strategy, that is an ultimate long term strategy. It works good. I, I support you a thousand percent, but you should still be stacking and racking liquidity because you need liquidity to get into those few deals that happen to everybody. I was just having breakfast with a guy who's 80 years old. He's made a shitload of money in the convention and group travel business. And I said, tell me, in your memory banks, tell me when you made the most money. And he said, there have been four deals in my life 
where I made the most money. And here's what I'm getting at. Everybody can remember those one, two, three, four times where you had the chance of a lifetime. They are, you will not get 50 chances of a lifetime to get rich. You right. will get one, two, three, or four, five, maybe. Right. And you need the capital to be able to pounce. And that capital starts in my mind. And my argument in the book is it starts at 100 Gs. Mm. I'm going to tell you a story too. Uh, my dad, who had opportunity to work with a huge packing house out there in Texas, who is his, it's his current customer. But back in the day, he had a chance to invest. And he didn't have the 100 Gs like you're talking about, right? Because he was all on stocks and things like that. So he missed the opportunity. Mm -hmm. This thing now is generating $2 million a month profit. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So he missed out, folks, on what, $24 million a year at a, you know, being an owner of that business, a small percentage of that, you know, you're generating a lot of cash on probably, probably less than 50 grand, you know, but that was in the eighties, yes, you know, that was a lot of money back then for it was sure. a lot of money, but still it was like, he didn't have that model. So it's very interesting that you say that because if he had had the 50 G's, he could be doing all the investing he wants because he'd be getting liquid cash kicked to him every month. Yeah, know? and I support, you know, listen, you're, everyone has to make their decision of what they choose to do with their money, but there will come a point in time where everybody has to decide one of two things, Travis. They have to decide, am I going to be the guy that drives by that corner lot for the rest of my life and I tell my kids and my grandkids, you know, if mm -hmm. I had bought that lot 30 years ago, <laughs> do you can you imagine what it would be worth today? Well, who cares right. about that story? I want to be the guy that says, I bought that lot, and yeah. then I sold it, and I took that money, and I leveraged it into a bigger deal, and then we got cash out of that deal, and then we leveraged it into another deal, and guess what? Now we're set. Right. I love this. I'm, I'm, I, gotta, I got more notes on this one than most, most of my guests. So uh, now, more, man, we're about to enter your mindset with some B-realisms. Today, you can hop on a plane and go anywhere in the world. Where do you dream of traveling to? You know, my wife, uh, it's not an interest of mine, but, my, but I will do it because I love my wife. She wants to go on, um, on a full-blown African safari. So if oh, I could jump, my, the, my wife's name is Rocky. Rocky and I would be on that flight, flight to Africa, and we'd be doing that um, because I know that that's a dream of hers. And um, we, we, we could do it now, no problem. It's just a matter of what do I want to do with my three boys? Do I want to take them? on that gotcha. journey right now or do i want it to just be me and the rocker i don't know do i want to get eaten by a lion i'm not so sure about that the rocker is <laughs> going to want to go see lions man she's going to want to get real close she's going to want me to pay the extra to get real close <laughs> she's like hey you hold the meat man Come yeah right <laughs> exactly right go a little closer i gotta get a selfie with this yeah thing, Maggie. i want a better picture go closer matt yeah so Squeeze, make side, it bleed I, make the make the meat bleed shake it so he sees it that's exactly that what she'd awesome. say. Yeah, that is awesome. Can you share with us also, um, do you have a favorite and a meal at the end of the day, end of a long day? What, do you have a favorite meal to enjoy? Dude, I eat too much. I mean, I just was with my doctor. I did the whole scan, body scan thing last physical, week. Yep. And um, everything checked out great. In fact, um, great news. Yes. Yeah, it was awesome. In fact, I, he said in the, in the heart scan, they rank things on, I, I think he said the word was microns, and anything uh, for a blockage in your heart, anything under 10 microns isn't even a worry. They don't even address it. Mm -hmm. And I had a small one. It was 4.6. So it showed up on the scan, but it was so much, it so was small. half of 10. It was non-issue. He said, no big deal at all. He said, the one problem is I'm carrying 50 pounds too much, and that I got to get rid of. So yeah. for me, dude, I eat, I eat um, more than I should. Um, 
and uh, I have a lot of favorite meals. But honestly, my favorite meal would probably be a well-done, charbroiled cheeseburger. Ooh, nice. That would be my final meal. I'm not, nice. I don't care about I like that. I like your style. Old school, man. Old, Old school. school. Charbroiled, Char-broiled over the charcoal, yes. well done, heavily melted American cheese. Mm, I'm getting hungry right now. Yeah, I might speak. go get one tonight too, man. <laughs> Is there a skill that you're trying to master right now? Is there something you're really pushing yourself to try to overcome or master a new skill? Um, it's a great question. You know, we're, we're finishing the hiring of our executive management team here. I'm trying to hire a new VP of sales. Uh, it's mm-hmm. much, proving much more difficult than I thought because I'm very selective. I think in all frankness, I would like to be able to get really good at at finding very high quality management um, mm-hmm. because that's that's far more difficult than it is for me to hire a, a young hustler sales guy. Right. Um, because I still look at myself as a young hustler sales guy. I don't look at myself as the seasoned executive management team. And I think that's a positive to me because these guys I interview, they're all out to pasture, man. These guys have been in the corner office way too freaking long. Right. They haven't carried the bag in a long time. They think they know what it's like to cold call or go visit customers or sleep in hotels, but they haven't done it in a while. Right. And uh, I hope I never lose that that gritty edge. But at the same time, I do need to elevate my mindset to be able to see um, you know, how does a full-blown kick-ass executive management team operate a business so that the owner can focus on the business rather than in the business using a Michael Gerber e-myth term? Yes, absolutely. And an- another one that I think about is the powerful uh, females that are out there, like Sheryl Sandberg, what she did for Facebook, you know? Uh, Dude, it's unbelievable, too. And by the way, the incredibly powerful millennials out there, that that mindset that people of my generation think towards millennials is all bullshit. I meet some unbelievably hustling, um, very in tuned millennials who want their piece of the American pie. They just want they just want a bigger pie. They want a mixture of life and culture and money. So yeah, the it's idea it's a different different viewpoint. It's a different it's a more holistic viewpoint, but the idea that millennials are lazy or they don't want to work is far more of a representation of that person's company or organization than it is on the millennials. Mm. It means you didn't offer what they wanted, dude. It's not right. their problem, it's your problem right. and you just don't know it. It means your business is outdated or they just don't want to work for you or you're not you're not inspiring them enough. Exactly and also, right. You're not giving them the kind of work that they need. Dude, it's exactly right. It means you haven't evolved into a great leader. That's my opinion of it. But but the argument that millennials are lazy and don't want to work is ridiculous. Nothing is further from the truth. I agree. And I see it in my business, too. I think that, uh, you know, you have to embrace change or die. Basically, that's how I look at it, especially running like in a social media business, you know. Things are always changing. Since 2009, when I started this business, things have changed every day. You know, dude, tomorrow is going to be something different. Look, what I was I was on Facebook last night. I was looking at a post that Gary Vaynerchuk put up, and Gary Vaynerchuk's post was up for nine hours, and it only had like 300 likes on it. And I was saying to myself, you know, I've hear, I hear I keep hearing that Facebook is becoming less important, less important, less important. But right. if Vaynerchuk on a nine-hour post only has 300 likes on his Facebook page, maybe it's true. Yeah. Maybe face maybe the importance Changing. of Facebook is really is really dwindling. What is your opinion? I mean, you're in that space. I What's think Instagram deal? is the biggest right now, but it's mm-hmm. obviously that's owned by Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, I still I definitely think Instagram. If you if you can learn one social media platform today, it would be Instagram. 
yeah. because of the hashtags, because of the viral capabilities of it, because of the IGTV, which is the longer form video, mm -hmm. Instagram stories, which is that short form content, which is kind of like Snapchat. So I'd say it's like, it's like all of like YouTube and Facebook and all these ones in one is Instagram. Um, so let me ask you a question on that. Do you think the swipe ups, cause we just got to 10,000 Billy. Oh, that's awesome. We just got yeah. to 10,000. So is the swipe up, uh, do, do a lot of people use that swipe up to, 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 you know, do, do you think that's all different products and stuff like that? You think it's the, an important you know, strategy to be able to, I, I do. Okay. Yeah, I do. I do. I think it's in the mix of everything. You know, mm -hmm. I think, I think some people that do it, if you're, if you're constantly, if that's the only objective, you can kind of see through that, you know? Yeah, it works if you're Kylie Jenner, one of these people that have millions of followers and you can just do whatever. But for the for the, you know, anyone else, you really have to basically do a, a mix of content, mm. you know, from stuff you're talking about. You personal. I love your stuff because, you know, you you bring it, you know, you're bringing the real talk uh, as well as just, you know, being transparent with people. I liked when you uh, you show your family vacations, you do lots of different stuff. So I think the the key thing is a mix of content. Mm -hmm. um, most importantly, and then dropping those in there, you know, because yeah, if you can get more people to, you know, the book download page to send a review on Amazon reviews, it's so important now. Um, so just all those little mix of things. Now, Instagram, I like I said, it, it's its own beast. And still the crazy thing is as a business, we get our number one request is Facebook still. Hmm. As far as like proposals and what people really still want to conquer and what people still want to grow. It's a lot of different businesses that were kind of late to the game you know it. yeah. so it's like yeah. now the finally the doctors are on board finally the lawyers are on board <laughs> finally the real estate agents and real estate <laughs> brokers and everyone's on board and so it's a little bit different businesses um where obviously the restaurants and some of these other brands that were on facebook could have instantly moved to uh you know to instagram got you know, it they've been yeah. on there for a while so mm -hmm. and i still think linkedin for a business owner i think uh, if you were to choose two it would be instagram and linkedin I think those are the two powerful. And then I, I still love Twitter too. So, I mean, I don't want to throw out too many things, but Twitter I think is a, is a, a secret uh, dark horse in that it is cleaning up the platform. They're cleaning up all the bots and all the weird stuff. And now we're going to be able to maybe see what the Instagram, uh, the Twitter targeting will do. Um, because that's been their only caveat is you can't really target that great with their ads. It's, it's interesting. You know, when I put up videos on Twitter or I put up graphics on Twitter, they mm -hmm. do not perform as well as when I just put up a simple one line piece of text on Twitter. Right. You know, we might get right. 60, right. 70, 80 likes on a nice one liner and we right. might get 12 likes on a cool graphic. It's, totally. it's just really interesting how the platforms are different and therefore you got to produce different content for each of the platforms. Yeah, I mean that's the big challenge for everyone is just trying to figure out what the what what mixes with your con with your audience and then also just trying to mix it up so that yeah each platform is a little bit different. So and when's you can have the next? Stuff in. But Travis, what? when's the next one coming though? I mean, is there I don't know, is man. there room it's... in the market or are we all saturated out on that? Well, it feels like it feels like you know at this point anything that becomes big enough is going to get copied. Mm -hmm. You know, so the big challenge right now is it was Snapchat, right? Mm -hmm. And then Snapchat got to a certain point and then you know, Facebook said, okay, we're just going to copy you yeah. and roll it out. So that's the scary part when you have such a huge behemoth in the room, like Facebook and even Google and that they could just copy, you You know? So that's the only downside. I still think it will happen maybe in more of niche markets. I still think social networking will happen in niche marketplaces and niche communities, but I think it's going to be hard for someone to go and do replicate what Facebook has done. Um, mm -hmm. and that they own Instagram and WhatsApp and all these companies and, you know, anything that's big is they'll either try to buy it or I feel like they'll just copy it. 
Yeah. And uh, that's a scary thing. If you, you can even hear other, you know, people talking about it. So I think the biggest thing is the interesting thing is that the platforms kind of all have their own little surges, mm -hmm. you know, Facebook has its own little thing. You know, LinkedIn has its own little thing. You know, you know, you could say Instagram is the most viral right now, but maybe one of the other ones will come back, you know? So it's just really interesting. They all kind of keep making little uh, uh, tweaks and iterations in their, in their code and their, in their app. Uh, so you just never know, but yeah, I would love to see something new. You know, we've heard different ones come up over the years, but then none of them really stick, you know, none just, of them really. Yeah. I just, I mean, I look at, I look at the early adopters who won and you look at a Vaynerchuk who was pushing, you know, wine library videos in yes. 2006, right? Yes. I mean, you know, you, you have to see it coming before the mainstream if you really want it because the mainstream moves so fast to whatever it is that's new there just isn't that two or three year window where where you right. can get ahead i mean look at look at a periscope or mm -hmm. what was the other one the other one the periscope vine, vine? no there was the other one a mirror oh, meerkat meerkat yeah i mean are those even around anymore nope nope wow. vine's not even around either yeah that's amazing i mean cardone pounded periscope and meerkat he beat them to death he was like so you know instantaneously he used those new platforms to dominate and right. and that's exactly what will happen on any new platform so yeah i think the window is dominate the platform if it turns out well then great if it doesn't try to get them to go to your other platforms yeah <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> right yeah. try to leverage them to get to any other thing you know because it is still a game of Hey, get your Twitter uh, followers to know about your Instagram. Get your Instagram followers to go about your LinkedIn. You know, mm, yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, you have 32,000 followers on Twitter, you know, getting them to know more about your LinkedIn, gets you more connections on LinkedIn. It brings true. you more deal flow. That's know? why I was like, we put out that graphic, Billy, a long time ago, and we should think about it again. But we, we put out the graphic that said, you choose. And we put right. the logos of, of the other uh, platforms. Right. And we put it on all the platforms. It's a, I you, love that. You choose. It doesn't matter. That. You know. I think it's very smart, man. I think that's very smart because there's nothing wrong with the synergy. Mm -hmm. You know, you're putting out different content on different platforms. And why not get more LinkedIn followers? It's only going to help you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Last couple things here. Tonight for dinner, be real. If you could take anyone in the world out to dinner out there in Dallas, who would it be? Dude, that's my wife, The Rocker. Are you kidding the rock? me? The I'm Rock? The Rock? I have, I have hit the lottery. Not that she's perfect. Believe me, she's tough as nails. <laughs> but there, there, I, I hit the lottery that there is nobody that I like to hang with more than my that's wife. Awesome. We, just, we just get along like peas and carrots. And that doesn't mean it's like blissful all the time. Course, we just... Yes. We just we're just a pretty good yin and yang. There's nobody I'd rather travel with on the planet than my wife. Hmm. That's the, I think that's the, the true sign of a true marriage is yeah. being able to travel together. Because well, uh, you see some couples on, the, on from travel, they start biting each other's heads off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it doesn't work like that when we travel. We actually we actually totally understand our groove and and we know the experiences, but. You know, the, the issues are at home. I mean, the, right. you know, the rocker's right. tough, man. Like, I came in the other night. I was like, hey, I got a uh, meeting um, in the morning, and I want to take your car. She's like, you're not taking my car. <laughs> so why, why, why are you going to give me such a hard time, man? I just want to take – why not? She's like, I'm not driving your car. Right? But it's fun. It keeps it. Fun. It keeps you guys have a little have a little jive. You guys have a little a little routine. The rocker's tough, man. The rocker. Tough. So then also, do you have a favorite app or a tool that you like using on a daily basis? Mm. something that gives you more value in your day provides you some i tell you we have a piece of software in our office called the doc thermo 
and Doc that's, Thermo. Yeah, that that basically gives me the snapshot of the dashboard of the of the results of the day, which then calculates. Ooh, the nice. Week. I like that. It's all every day, all day. It's the first thing I go to is our Doc Thermo. I want to see thermo. how much business did we put out. I love that. So I don't that's spend, like a, dude. I don't spend a lot of time on social, and I feel bad about it because. Sure. I want to comment and I want to thank people for for showing their endorsement or their love, but right. I find it to be so mind numbing now yeah. that I just like I just on my Instagram I cleaned out I have like eighty fo- I follow eighty people now from like seven thousand I just literally cleaned them all out I just mm-hmm. it just clutters my mind and it's so disappointing to me because I have to go through so much crap just to find a few people that. You, you know, liked about. my stuff or that I care about following them. It's unfortunate. I think it's the, de- it's going to, someone's got to figure this out. How do we just, like Twitter is a huge problem for me, right? Mm-hmm. I, I love posting on Twitter, but I have a very difficult time following people because my Twitter is so clogged and messy yes. that I can't even go to it to get, to get any inspiration because I just got to go through so much silliness bullshit. and crap yes. and so much bullshit. Well, tip two with maybe your team is you could create Twitter lists of people you like, mm-hmm. and then you could go to each one of those lists and you'd only see posts from them. So if you wanted to see only Tony Robbins, Gary Vaynerchuk, Oprah, you all you would have is the feed of those three people. So that's yeah. a it's a, a different way, but it is a little bit more cumbersome. But I agree. I mean, uh, all the all the platforms. That's one of the biggest issues, and that's you know why Facebook the organic reach has gone down so much is because they've not let brands just take advantage of it. And now it's becoming more of like relevant content to you because if they don't do that, then no one's going to be there anymore. You know? Um, yeah. It's a big problem. I mean, Facebook particularly because um, uh, you know, I do like to see a post from my fraternity brother that posts right. once every six months, but right. But you know, to see that I've got to go through so much garbage um, that you end up just sort of, you know, not doing it. Yeah. And so you miss out on the other people's life stories. Absolutely. I had the same issue and I run a social media business. You're like, you're not on social. I I try to stay off the stuff, you know, to be honest with you, because the same reasons. Uh, But yet you have, but in order to be impactful and help other people, you have to show that you care. And so you have to be there. It's just, it's, it's a really weird place. I think for social right now, because there are a lot of people that really, you know, high evolved thinkers that want to help a lot of people, but they just can't bring themselves to go through 80% of clutter to get to 20% that you care about. Right. And that's where hopefully AI or who knows what, what the future is going to hold. I always hope that it's going to get better as I've seen it get better over time. Since I've been running my business now for nine years, the platforms have gotten better. There's more things you can do as a business, for instance. Um, but then a couple last things into you, my man, Matt. Sure, buddy. Tonight or any night after a long day of work, do you have a favorite show or something to do at night you like to do, relax? Yeah, man. I love these Alaska shows where these people like live out off the oh, grid. Oh, yeah. Um, oh yeah. There's cool. one I love. It's called less than zero. I love the guy, you know, they're, they're smoking their own salmon and, yes. you know, I love that sort of stuff. I would never last a day in that environment. <laughs> like I wouldn't, I wouldn't be, I, I don't even think I would like, if it was like a paid trip for two days and I knew that there was the Ritz afterwards that I would deal with it. But I love people that have the clarity to say, this is, 
how I'm going to live my life. So I, I, those kinds of shows really intrigue me. That one, there's one lady on that. Do you know the show I'm talking about? Less than, not less yeah, than zero. Yeah, I have zero. seen it before. Life have, below I, zero. Life below zero. I have zero. seen it before. I have seen this show before. This one lady, Thanks. she lives all by herself nine months out of the year. She got bit by a bear. It bit her mm-hmm. head, Billy. It, the, she, the bear clamped on her head, and she still lives in this place all by herself nine months out of the year in a tundra. Unbelievable. Like like four miles from Russia and like 900 miles from the nearest hospital, you know? Wow. Those kind of shows intrigue me. The rest of it I find just absolute garbage. I watch zero news. Yeah. Um, uh, I get my news. Actually, I love my uh, Twitter news feed. I do yeah. like that. That, that sort yeah. of gets me what I need. But um, for the most part, dude, I watch really sort of extreme shows like that and very little. Maybe I probably literally watch two, maybe three hours of television a week. And it's yeah. always on DVR. I never skip to the ads. I never do commercials ever. <laughs> but aren't, isn't that amazing though? I mean, they just seem they just seem like such a waste. I, I that was my old business is I used to work for ABC Television mm. uh, for the Disney Company and mm. um, uh, from 2005 to 2009. And I when I started seeing on demand and I started seeing Hulu and things like that penetrating, I knew things were going to change. Yeah. Uh, when you could fly through those commercials, it was going to be hard to justify someone spending, you know, 500 or a thousand bucks in a local market on an Oprah spot. You know, it was that it was, uh, you know, it was just, it, it was, there was the, you could see the time, you know, was then, and that was right, actually right, right around the financial crisis, you mm-hmm. know, so mm-hmm. some of the top years for broadcast were 2008 and 2009, if you look at historic revenues. Mm. Um, and I don't think they'll ever hit that again, even though they have big digital businesses, they will never get the same money they were charging for those big, you know, American Idol and these top shows at that one point, it was, it was the, it was the prime time hmm. ever. I don't think we'll ever see it again. Yeah. Wow. Um, that was, you know, social media started hitting and then Google ads and all these things started taking away from their money, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. So last thing, uh, can you give our listeners one last real talk thought, my man? Listen, I, I always like to go back to this when, when I'm trying to, to help people. I, I, I remind people to stay out of what I call false positive hashtag false positive, where, it's where you trick your brain into thinking that you're doing better than you really are. It's when, it's when you know you say, um, "I'm good, man. I'm good. No, I'm yeah. I'm good. I'm we're in good shape." Whether you're talking about financial or 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 even relationship wise, dude, don't tease yourself with the words "I'm good" or living in what I call false positive. Remind yourself and be tough on yourself that financially the money has moved. Most people are not good. They think they're good, but they're way behind. Mm. And so just stay real on all of it. Look, you're going through it, I bet, with all due respect to your buddy. Uh, and I don't know, maybe you had a wonderful conversation with him before he passed suddenly. But, you know, I was in California. I had 15 minutes with my best friend in the world, and it was absolutely incredible to have that level of of transparency and honesty. And the answer is why do we got to do it on a guy's freaking deathbed, man? Why can't we do more of that just every day? Right. Well, folks, you've been hanging out with my man, Matt Monero and Travis too tall and huff. I want to thank you again for your time today and keep being real. That's our episode this week with your host, Matt Monero. Check us out every Friday at 12 PM central as we discuss money, your life, and how you need more money.